Hey, everybody. I just wanted to do something a little different <clears throat> while it's still fresh. We had a beautiful time as a church at Radiant using my dearest brother, friend, Pastor John Sparrow, the uh, Equippers building. It was a beautiful time today. I scrambled like crazy to try to get all of our live streaming technology, my camera, all the computer stuff, and I just couldn't get it to work. And so I figured I'd just hop on here and share the message because I think it's super important for our time as we are still reflecting on the implications of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, the, the new creation, the new humanity, the new world that dawned that resurrection morning with our crucified, slain, slaughtered, and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to continue that conversation through the very next episode that we left off on on Easter Sunday, after Mary sees Jesus, confuses him for a gardener, she's commissioned to go share with the apostles that she has seen him, the resurrected King, the Lamb of God, who triumphed over sin and took the sin of the world away by laying down his life for us. And, and um, I just want to continue that narrative arc in and draw out some implications for this passage of Jesus showing up to the disciples behind their locked door of fear. So it says in John 20, verse 19 through 23, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love this passage because, <clears throat> well, I love several things about the passage, but one of the startling realities here is Jesus stands among disciples who are gathered together, but in a spirit of fear. And I wonder for, for if you're anything like me, uh, Isaiah chapter 60 paints this picture of like darkness being like this thick cloud that seeks to come over the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. But the promise in that crippling, thick, dark cloud reality that the same passage, Isaiah 61 through 3, says that the church is meant to rise and shine the beaming, brilliant light of her king, Jesus. And so it's interesting that Jesus stands among them. He enters into their space, into their paradigm, which is still fear of persecution, obviously of death. If they came after Jesus, they very likely could come after them as his followers, disciples. I love that picture, though. He stands with them in their fear. He's not being morphed to fit their culture. He announces his culture and reality when he, when he announces peace. And Jesus shows up, and the first thing he does is he seeks to restore relationship. I, just lo I, love, I love this where he says, um, peace be with you. The first thing Jesus always wants to do when we're in a place of crippling fear is to restore us to relational reality. Because we know that when we're operating in a spirit of fear or anxiety, the fear of man, the praise of man, what will they think? What will they do? We know somehow it's a relational breakdown. 
So I loved all of them have abandoned Jesus. Peter's denied. They've all basically done the same. Strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. That's what Jesus prophesied. And it happened. The first thing he does is he seeks to, rela- to, to restore them to relationship. And I love this about King Jesus. He doesn't browbeat them. You bunch of failures. You all left me hanging. You all abandoned your post. You all, you, 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 no, let's restore the relationship. Maybe you're there today and you're, you're behind a locked door of fear, anxiety, or you've let the Lord down, or you, you feel like you're so far from living out of your redemptive potential, or you're just literally captivated by the spirit of fear, which is rampant in our generation, our culture. I want you to know the first thing Jesus wants to do here is he wants to restore us to relationship. And when we're restored to relationship, he brings us into the reality of his world instead of us being bound and confined to the reality of our world and our own perceptions. So he breathes peace, which releases the reality, the true reality, Colossians 2.17, that flows from the nature of Jesus himself and his kingdom. Now we have to understand that, that three times in John's gospel, there's been this phrase in John 7 and John 9 and John 12, and here again in John 20, for fear of the Jewish leaders, for fear of the Jewish leaders, for fear if they acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, they're kicked out of synagogue. And I want to just under uh, underscore the legitimate fear of our time and our secular culture and, the, and when secularism is the religion of the day. We live in this very, very similar, if not same context, that if you make your personal private faith public, it's going to cost you you know, being canceled, ostracized, named a bigot because you believe in the, the scriptures and historic Christian orthodoxy, faith, all of these things that our secular culture says, it's okay if you have a faith, it's okay how you practice your faith, just keep it in private. And the disciples, past, present, and now, future, have always been t- tempted to stay behind the locked door of fear instead of publicly identifying with King Jesus and his kingdom uh, implications. And so it's amazing that he comes in this reality and he breathes peace, restores the relationship, breathes the reality of his life, his nature, his world, his kingdom, and he confronts their fear. That's the next p- part of what we see here. He restores relationship, but then he confronts fear. And it's incredible to me that he announces the same thing. Aren't you thankful for a Jesus who's, who's not too proud to say the same thing twice? Peace be with you. Look at my hands. Look at my side. They're overjoyed, the disciples. Again, he says the same thing. Peace be with you. This time, he's not just comforting. He's confronting their paradigm for living, the spirit of fear, of persecution, hostility, even death itself. And he's like, guys, I'm going to slay this giant. I just defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave on the cross. I vanquished hell. I destroyed the principalities and powers, Colossians 2, 11 through 15. My father vindicated me, raised me by the power of the Holy Spirit. This paradigm in this room of fear and insecurity and uncertainty is not going to be the paradigm that my disciples live out of. You're going to live out of a new kingdom reality. And so he says the same thing. This time, the peace doesn't just comfort, it commissions them to be bearers and bringers of good news. Now, why was it so difficult for them to slay this Goliath and for us to slay the Goliath of fear? 
We stay behind our closed doors. We just we keep our faith private. The reality is that just like Jesus said, um, and throughout John's gospel, they didn't. They, if they brought their personal faith to the public re- realm or reality, they would have been kicked out of synagogue. It says in John nine, John seven, John twelve. There's this fear that if they were identified themselves with Jesus and His kingdom, that He is the Messiah and the Lord, it would cost them publicly. Public faith has public implications, which many times, if not always, carries public ramifications, including the potential for rejection, ostracization, being being canceled and cut off from the the you know the barons of of the cultural moment that we're in. It's a real fear. And people with real jobs, real workplaces, real school, real, real you know, in government and, and, and in workplaces and in schools and in universities, if you make your faith known, it literally will cost you something. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Look at my wounds. Again, peace be with you. We're going we're gonna to face this Goliath of fear and keeping your faith in the solely private personal realm. And I'm going to empower you to, to, to begin to operate out of my paradigm, which is peace, shalom, wholeness, flourishing, fullness, life as God designed, destined, and intended. With Christ at the center, Christ on the throne, Christ exalted, where the fear of man is not what dictates our attitudes, actions, character, and conduct, but it's the peace and presence of Christ that shapes, sources, and sustains us for the long haul of our discipleship to Jesus. Secularism says it's okay to have faith as long as you keep it private. Do not bring it into the public sector or it's going to cost you. The same thing with Jesus and his disciples in the first century. But Jesus speaks twice, peace be with you, peace be with you. In the very next sentence, he slays our propensity and and our fear to keep our faith private. Look at the very next thing he does. Jesus confronts and then Jesus commissions as the father sent me. So I am sending you. And in one sentence, in one dynamic kingdom reality, Jesus completely dismantles the lie that that for a disciple, it's optional just to keep your faith in the private only realm. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Your discipleship will always have personal, familial, relational dynamics, but it also has a public dynamic. Now, most of us, when we think about bringing our faith into the public realm, you might think of the guy on the corner with the bullhorn and the, you know, go to your sinners are going to die and go to hell, repent and perish and more power to him. Paul says in Philippians 1, 1 Corinthians 9, you know, he's rejoicing that the gospel is being preached because God uses foolish methods and means. Not that that's if, if that's you. Praise God. If that's what the spirits told you to do to go. But many of us, if that's our only version of taking our personal private faith and bringing it into public sector, we're, we have an anemic wanting view of what it means to have a public faith. What Jesus is saying is, as the father sent me, I'm sending you. It means he's sending us into all of life to bear witness to the reign and the rule of King Jesus. Again, we've been so programmed in the West and in our in, in our own lives to compartmentalize everything. I have my family life, my recreational life, uh, my ethical life, my financial life, my time, my treasure, my talent. And we compartmentalize everything. But the beauty and the glory of the gospels that Jesus Christ is the, is the risen reigning ruling King and Lord over all of life. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 that he sustains all things by his powerful word and in him all things hold together. So this, this I'm sending you just, it, it, it releases the death blow to our compartmentalization and our propensity to compartmentalize and to keep private, to keep personal. Jesus is like, not an option if you're following me. Now I'll take you where you are. Your fears, your sense of inadequacy, your sense of, I don't know, the you know Christian doctrine or faith. I'll take you in all of that mess and I'll train you. You, you never graduate from school. The curriculum and the tutelage of King Jesus. He's our master, Lord, teacher. He's the paradigm for the way, truth, and the life. We never graduate from that. So it's like, I'll take you no matter where you're at, whatever condition you're in, but I'm not going to leave you there. Your faith will, it must transcend the personal and private, and it's got to inform and infuse your public witness and testimony. I'm sending you into your workplace. I'm sending you into your neighborhood. I'm sending you into the world to bear witness to my reign and my, my rule for, for my glory and for the good of others. Those two things, my glory and the good of others. And so praise God, he confronts us. The peace that comforts, confronts our fear, and then commissions us. Combating the lie that faith can stay forever in the personal private. It's like, no. Everything you just saw me do, John 14, 12 through 14, you're going to do those works and greater. As I've been the witness of the Father So you're going to be my witnesses as the father sent me. So I'm sending you as I began my ministry, Acts chapter one, I'm going to pass that same ministry onto you in the power of my Holy Spirit. This is why this, this Easter evening epic story in John 20 is so relevant for our time. We, man, so many of us are just bound in the spirit of fear behind the locked doors and the imminent frame and the secular narrative and story. Keep your faith private or it'll cost you. It'll cost you socially. It'll cost you relationally. It'll cost you at work. And Jesus is like, no, I'm sending you out into that world. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. John 16, 33, I've overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We don't have to fear. The spirit he gave us is the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Like we're going to confront this fear. And I'm going to commission you to be an ambassador of my reality instead of the, the rea- the, that which passes for reality in our cultural craziness that we're living in right now. I love that it's peace, 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 restore the relationship, confront the fear, show the disciples the wounds that bore, that he bore for our redemption to restore us to sonship or daughtership, to destroy us. Restore us to our identity, purpose, destiny, and mission as his image bearers, as his, as, as his ambassadors to bear witness to his reign and rule. And then let's see what happens next. This is so powerful. He commissions. And then he says, continue my ministry. As the Father sent me, I send you. My works, my words, my will, and my, and my witness. And then lastly, you're not going to do any of this in your own strength. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and they received the spirit and he gave them their commission to go preach the gospel. Announce that I have forgiven the world through my life, death and resurrection. I love this passage. I love these, these passages against it's Easter evening. Mary's no doubt told the disciples, but they're still in this reality of fear until Jesus comes and introduces them to the superior 
reality of his kingdom where he reigns, he rules. I love, where else do you think of in the Bible of, of God breathing on something or someone? Obviously, Genesis 2-7, where Yahweh, God gets into the dirt, breathes into the dust and, and informs the man. This is new creation. Just like Mary confused Jesus in the very previous episode in John 20, it's the gardener. Where'd you lay Jesus? Jesus is a gardener. He's the gardener of the new creation. He's the last Adam who fulfilled Adam's vocation once and for all so that we could be made new humans, restored to that creational mandate to rule, subdue, be fruitful and multiply. Jesus, this is, he's, he's restoring us to his original design and bringing us further as citizens of his kingdom that has no end, where his peace reigns and rules. The member of the government that's on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, his government and his peace, they expand, they ever expand with no end. Government and peace. And it rests on the shoulders of King Jesus. When he breathes on his disciples, he's making them new humans. We're going to begin to operate out of a new living paradigm. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Go out and announce forgiveness. Praise God for 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, that God did not count human sins against them, or all of us would have died, and the crippling weight and reality of our of our accrued guilt and debt as sinners. But he took all the sins that should have been counted against individuals, families, the world, and he counts it against his son, Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, the righteous dies for the unrighteous so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he's like, go out and tell the whole world this good news. I counted the sins of the world against my son. Go announce the good news that by believing in his name, what's that first apostolic sermon in Acts 2? Repentance and forget, repentance and belief for the forgiveness of sins, the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and being baptized into a brand new kingdom family of Jew, Gentile, young, old, male, and female, every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. Go out, release that forgiveness, declare they're forgiven. Exile is over. New creation is here. You can all come home to the Father's house through the way, truth, and life of King Jesus. So I just pray you would be encouraged by this episode. Again, just by way of simple summary, to start from the very beginning, Jesus restores relationship by breathing peace that first time around, even though they're in crippling fear. Next, Jesus confronts their fear and says, this is not going to be your living paradigm that you're going to live under forever. No, you're going to live under my peace, my rule, my reign, my reality. Jesus commissions them again, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus says, you're going to continue my ministry as the Father sent me, I send you. My works, my words, my will as my witnesses. And then Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit this prophetic picture that the new creation has come. These are new humans, citizens of the kingdom, disciples of King Jesus himself. And I wonder which one of these challenges you most. What door are you locked behind? What fear are you bowing to? 
at what level or do you need to repent and, and receive the reality of Jesus's kingdom instead of the kingdom that you're trying to rule in your own strength? Are you fearful of bringing your personal faith into the public sector? Have you bowed to the idols and altars of the fear of man? Or have you bent the sort of uh, the contours of biblical fidelity and orthodoxy so that people will like you more for the praise of man or for the fear of man? Both will kill you. Both are a terrible master and both are a terrible Lord. Jesus says, peace be with you. Look at my wounds. I did this for you because of love. And he says it again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I send you. Send me where? Everywhere. Do all of life as my witnesses of the good news of my kingdom, of my love, of the gospel that God in Christ has forgiven the world. You need only repent. Stop. Rethink. Come into agreement and alignment. Acknowledge your sin that he is the sole and perfect sufficient Savior. Say yes to his lordship. There's no Lord, no king, no master like King Jesus. He can deliver us. He can comfort us no matter how broken the relationship feels with you and the Lord or you and those that you love. His peace restores, it comforts, but it confronts his presence. He said, this fear is not your paradigm. My peace is. Let me rescue you. Let me breathe on you, introducing you to my rule, my reign my realm and my reality. Now go, I'm sending you. Personal faith cannot stay personal and private forever. Bring it with, I'm Lord over everything. You're my ambassadors of reconciliation. That which has been ravished, broken, bound, morphed, mutilated because of sin. Go be in, it's reconciliation time. Be restored to the Father. Be restored. Come into agreement and alignment. It's my job, the Holy Spirit says, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 8 through 10. You go out and bear witness to my reign and to my rule. Fear is not your master. I am. And I've triumphed over sin, hell, death, and the grave. Receive my spirit. Go announce forgiveness. You're my ambassadors, my witnesses of my rule and reign. And I just want to pray for us that we would really experience the breath of God right now, if you're watching this or listening later by podcast. This is a timely message. This is the relevant word for every age of the church, but especially for ours in the secular narrative. Keep your faith out of the public sector. Just keep it at home. Keep it to yourself. And Jesus says, no, not an option. I'm sending you into all of life because I'm Lord over all of life. And who else will bear witness, witness to my reign and rule but my spirit-filled disciples who are learning how to live life under my tutelage, under my yoke, my way that alone, that narrow road, the small road, and narrow, narrow way that leads to life that only a few find. I want more to find it. And they're going to see that way through your witness, through the way you do work, the way you do family, the way you do reconciliation instead of retaliation the way you forgive and go low in humility instead of retaliate and get even. All of life becomes an opportunity to bear witness to the one who we've sworn full allegiance to as his disciples. And we don't do any of this in our own strength. Praise God for that breath. He makes us new humans. He breathes on us the Holy Spirit, the power of God. 
The same power. Come on, someone say amen. Ephesians 1, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's at work within us. The power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my friends or whoever would share this or watch this later or listen to it on podcast. Lord, I pray you would deliver your church from the spirit of fear. That we would stop living out of the paradigms of this age of, of coercion, of cancel culture, of, of you know, the, the spirit of the age that keeps us all in our own little prison cells of fear of who's going to be canceled, who's going to be written off, who's going to be ostracized, marginalized because of their fidelity and, and, and allegiance to Christ. Lord, I pray you would just deliver your people, deliver your church, deliver me from the spirit of the age and the spirit of fear that we would walk and live out of the kingdom paradigm of your peace and your presence and your very breath. That you would meet us. Thank you that you meet us. And you don't browbeat us in our failure, our brokenness, but you, you restore us through your peace. It's a costly restoration. It cost you everything. The punishment that brought us peace was upon your back, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that peace, that presence, that you would comfort, you would confront, and then you would commission us afresh today in the power of the Holy Spirit that we begin to view our lives through a missionary lens. We are the sent people of God, new humans who bear witness to new creation that's breaking into this present age through the gospel of King Jesus. We love you, Lord. We surrender our lives to your Lordship. You are Lord over all and in you all things hold together. Be exalted in your church. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to break through our walls and bring us into the superior reality of your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are blessed by this, it would be so awesome. If you are challenged, provoked, share it with a friend. I just believe it's such a relevant time, such a relevant message for the days in which we live. Bless you. If there's any way we can help you grow, if you're local here to the Central Coast, or even if you're not, I'd do the work digitally to help you find a vibrant local church to plug into, to grow in your discipleship and to use your gifts to serve for the building up of the body and the advancement of the kingdom of God in your context. We'll see you next time.